events happen. There are lives that you and I cannot understand. There are some events that happen in the world that you can't explain. And what we've been through these last few months, these last few weeks, I would definitely say that I can't explain it all. And there's some things I, I cannot understand. And I came across a story about a guy named Sam. He was a very dedicated pastor. But like many who follow God's call into ministry, there are people who didn't like him. There are people, even in the church that he served, that swore to be his enemies. But Pastor Sam had a tremendous sense of God's providence. That God was in control of everything. So when it came to dealing with difficult people, Pastor Sam was okay because he knew ultimately that God was in control. And no matter what his enemies threw at him, they could not rattle him. Things got so bad, well, dealing all these difficult people that one night the parsonage caught on fire. Everyone got out except for his five-year-old son. He was trapped. Upstairs. So some neighbors got together and stood on each other's shoulders and pulled that five-year-old boy out. As soon as they pulled him out and got him to safety, the roof collapsed. One more second, the little boy would have been killed. And after they got him down and reunited with his father, Sam, Pastor Sam, they, he said, come on, neighbors, let's, let's get together and let's Let's pray. And he said, quote, come, neighbors, let us kneel down. Let us give thanks to God. He has given me all my eight children. Let the house go. I'm rich enough. End of quote. He went on to pastor that church and had a lot of difficult time. And by a lot of standards, had very little to show of it. This guy's last name, by the way, was Samuel Wesley. And the little boy who was pulled out at five years old was a guy who grew up to be John Wesley. And perhaps you've heard of that name. He went on to be a great evangelist, founder of the Methodist Church, great man of God. Can you see how powerful it is when you realize that God is in control? And it's hard to see the providence of God when we're living the close-up. God doesn't call us to see the big picture. We're living the close-up. So all I can see is right here and now. I can't see anything about the past or the future. It's right here and right now, but God sees the bigger picture. God, as was said in class this morning, this pandemic didn't strike God by accident. He knew it was going to happen. He knows where he's going, and he knows what's going to be the outcome of it all, because he is God. He is sovereign. And as Samuel Wesley was watching all that he owned burn up in a fire, helplessly hearing his five-year-old boy cry for help, do you think he sat there so everything's going to be okay? John's going to grow up, and he's going to be used of God to reach millions of people for Christ. 
I'm sure he thought of only one thing. Save his little boy. And when John was safe, he recognizes God's providence, that he was in control even in the midst of the fire. When you see and when I see that God is in control, it takes away your worries and your fears. It gives you joy, peace, and assurance. It gives you boldness and confidence to do what God's called you to do. In our passage, you will see that Ezra had confidence in God's providence. Two times in this passage, throughout the book of Ezra, you will see this, quote, God's hand was upon him, end of quote. Do you see God's hands upon your life? Not just the good times, but also in the bad times. My prayer is that we will see God's hands of providence in our lives as individuals and as a church. To feel the security and peace that comes from knowing that the one who knows the end from the beginning is the one who's in control. In order to do this, we're going to look how Ezra announced his arrival on the scene. He showed God's providence in three areas of his life. And we have those same three areas in our lives today. Here they are. Number one, our history has been providentially guided by God. Number two. Our life's journey is providentially guarded by God. And number three, our mission is providentially got, given by God. So let's look at our text this morning. Starting in verse 1, Ezra chapter 7. Now after, all, now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Ezariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok. Son of Atob, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zerahah, son of Uazah, son of Buka, son of Abishu, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was the scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem at the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month he began to go up from Babylon And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Israel had set his heart to study or literally to seek the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinance to Israel. So the first thing we see here as he announces his arrival on the scene is our history has been providentially guided by God, verses 1 through 6. Now it's been said that people who do not study history are doomed to repeat it, and those who do study history will still find ways to mess things up. That may be true, but history is a wonderful thing if we look at history with our eyes focused in the right place. And when we do that, we will see something unmistakably 
that God is in control. And in these verses, Ezra gives a very brief family history. It's not even a complete genealogy. But his point is not to give a complete family tree. It's to briefly show the history of how God got to him. And as you move through all the people in history of the world, God ran through this particular path to get to Ezra. And you will notice that it's a historical path of priests, but not just any priests. Ezra history traces back to Aaron. Did you catch that? The same Aaron that God gave Moses to be his spokesperson. The same Aaron that served as a first high priest. So he was in the high priestly line. But see, I didn't mean much in Babylon. To make illustration of that, it would be like telling you this morning that I'm related to the Queen of England. And you probably look at me, well, so what? We're in the United States of America. It doesn't mean anything. So in Babylon, him being a descendant of Aaron didn't mean much to the Babylonians, but it meant something to Ezra. It meant that God had had his hand on his family for over a thousand years. That God got a history into one moment that culminated in one man in one place ready for one task. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we receive the adoptions as sons. Did you catch that? The fullness of time. What is meant by that? If you look when God sent forth his son, there's a lot of things that happen. To make the spread of the gospel happen. You had the Greek language. Everybody had their native tongue, but everybody spoke Greek. Everybody could understand that language. You had the Roman roads that made travel easy. You had the peace of Rome. Rome had control of a lot of the world back then. There was peace, so you could travel. There were so many things that happened that took place to allow the early church To take off. It's almost like someone planned it that way. I believe someone did plan it that way. And that would be the Lord. But the question is to us this morning, if we can see God's sovereign hand controls all history, why do we have such a hard time seeing how God providentially guides our own history? Ezra saw God's providential hand in where he was in history. God brought him to that point. It was no accident. Now, they had been through some difficult times, him and his lineage. There have been times of priesthood rebellion and abuse. They've been through war, famine, strife, and persecution. But God's guiding hand was on them the whole time. And my question to you is, can you see that in your own history? It's hard to see God's guiding hand when you're in the middle of the storm. But when you take a step back and look your life and the past, you will see how God has providentially brought you through every particular storm. You are here in this moment, either joining us through the Internet or here in person. God brought you to this point. It's no accident. God's always working. That's one thing I like about that song. Even when we don't see it, we don't feel it, 
God is always working. Aren't you glad about that? You never pray to God and get, boop, I'm away from the throne right now, believe your name. No, he's always there. Always working. So our history has been providentially guided by God. I believe it's God who brought me here to Forestburg Baptist Church. Maybe some of you wishing, well, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I'm here. And a lot of you know some of the things that Tammy and I have been through. Some of you have been through some things since I've been here. But God knew that when he called me here. And he knew I need certain people in my life to be around me as encouragers and supporters and people who would pray for me because he knew what was in store. He knew it. So he brought me here. Our life's journey is providentially guarded by God. Verses 7 through 9. Now this passage that we're reading this morning is really a brief overview of what we'll find in the next couple of chapters. Ezra had finally come on the scene of Jerusalem in this book that bears his name. And as he comes on the scene, he gives a brief introduction of himself. He gives a quick rundown of how he got to Jerusalem. But, you know, as he does that, if you look into the passage, he doesn't give us much detail. You have to realize this journey from Babylon to Jerusalem is about a thousand miles. On foot. That's a long way to go. If I had taken a thousand mile journey on foot, I would want to tell you all the stories about every callus, blister, scorpion, or spider along the way. You know there had to be stories about maybe a possible heat stroke in the desert sun or hyperthermia at night, highway bandits, and wild animals. Think for a moment as he traveled that thousand mile journey by foot, how many obstacles will be in his way? Driving a thousand miles, driving a thousand miles for me is an obstacle, much less walking it. But Ezra, if you look in the passage, does not say anything about his journey. But he does say the reason he made it was the good hand of God was upon him. The scorpion in the road might have been a big deal at the time. If there was bandits that held them up along the way, I'm sure it was scary at the time. However, God providentially guarded them along the way. Have you ever stopped to think about what God has done in your life? When I look back on my own life, it hasn't been smooth. There has been some pretty big obstacles in my way. And to be honest, some of those obstacles I put there myself. And the temptation is to zoom in on those individual obstacles. And when we do that, we miss the whole point of the journey. We miss the one who has been with us, the one who's been guarding us the whole time. So you're not alone on your life's journey. God is with you. He will guide you. He will guard you. He will protect you. And when an obstacle jumps out in front of you, he is not surprised. Even if the obstacle or obstacles take your life, you are still guarded by God. John chapter 3, verse 27 and following. Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. 
and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Did you catch that? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Listen to this. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. As believers, God is protecting us. And even if I lose my life here, if I physically die, I'm still safe in the hands of God. It's like Jesus has me in his hand like this, and then God the Father puts his hand over Jesus' hand. Nothing can touch me. He is protecting me. He's providentially guarding me on life's journey because the end of all this, the goal of all this is to end up in heaven to spend eternity with my Lord, my maker, my creator. Now, I want to be very clear about something. I'm not saying I want to run out and and perish. I, I like to see my grandkids a little bit. By the way, I finally understand what the big deal is about grandkids. Learn that all the time. But I know if something happens to me, I don't have to worry about where I'm going. I'm safe and secure. What what does Paul say? What can separate us from the love which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing. No, No scheme of the devil, no power of man is able to snatch us out of his hands. That's great assurance to have. What great peace to have that no matter what comes down the road, God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And that comes to the third thing. Our mission is providentially given by God, verse 10. This is one of the most profound personal mission statements I have read. People talk about having life verses. For example, Philippians 1.6. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And people pick out different life verses that that they build their life upon. And if you're going to use a verse for your life's goal and ambition, use this one. It describes the goal of Ezra's life. It describes his mission that was probably given to him by God. God gave the mission and he prepared his heart to do it. He was very intentional about it. He did not just let it happen. He pursued it. Look at verse 10. He prepared his heart. That reminds me, if you, I know we don't have a lot of sports on TV right now, but you look at any sports team that makes it to the finals, they don't get there by chance, do they? It doesn't just fall into their laps. Rather, they had to work hard at it. They had to make their sport their personal life's mission. They had to leave everything else behind. They had to pursue it. To achieve their goal. And look what it says about Ezra. Once again, he prepared his heart to study, literally to seek the law of the Lord. He made up his mind to be very intentional about getting God's word. By the way, if you're not intentional about getting God's word, you'll probably never get there. Because there's so many distractions that we have. Things pulling us every day. You have to be intentional about it. So, no, I want to read it. I want to know what God's will is for my life. I want it to have time with 
my God. He wasn't content to look at a devotional once every couple of weeks. His purpose in life was to actively seek what God's word had to say. Then he saw what God had to say in his word, but he wanted to practice it as well. There are people all over this counting state and nation who know God's word. They know it enough that they can probably quote it to you word by word. Yet at the very same time, they try to cover up the evidence of their immoral lifestyle, or worse yet, they quote it to try to justify their immoral lifestyle. See, there's a big difference between knowing what the Bible says and putting it into practice. You can say everything you want about the Bible, but do you believe it? Because if you believe it, you demonstrate that by putting it into practice. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are very hard and difficult to put. Love, Tim, love everybody as I loved you. Is that easy to do? No, it's not. I need God, the Holy Spirit in me, to help me, to empower me to do that. Because by my own nature, me by myself with no, with no Holy Spirit, I'm selfish and I'm conceited. I don't want to do that sort of stuff. I mean, look what's happening in our country. What you're seeing being played out, and I, I can't speak for everybody, so I don't know what's in their hearts, but it seems to me that a lot of people have forgotten about God and what his word says, and you see that being played out. When we tell people that there are part of an evolution or there's no absolute truth and that what's good for you is good for you, what's good for me is good for me, there is no moral compass. It's any wonder why we see what we see on TV, is my point. Ezra had made his life's mission to do God's word. But that was not enough because all that focused on him. Ezra, Ezra was now intentional in teaching God's word to others. He knew what God's word said. He did God's will that was shown in his word, and he taught others to do the same. That sounds like a good preacher, doesn't it? I can't know what you got. I don't see no nodding because it's kind of dark in here. But the hardest part about preaching, and I would also say teaching, you can pray. Well, first of all, you should pray, find the passage. In this particular, we're walking through the book of Ezra. And as you pray, you start jotting stuff down. Then you want to do some context work, historically, what was going on. You do your homework to find out historically what was going on. And you can know all those facts and have all this stuff down. But the hardest part is, okay, this is what it says, but how does that apply? Application is a very, is a very hard part to preaching and teaching. That's the reason why tenure for a pastor is so important, because as I get to know you, you get to know me, application becomes more easy because I know where you guys are in your life. If I don't know you, it's hard to make application. But it's not just being a good preacher. It's like a good Christian. As you go out and you encounter people to tell them what it means to you, how you plot it, to your life. And if you're talking to a loved one, a good friend of yours, I'm sure you could probably also make application 
to their lives. That is the mission God has given each and every one of us. God providentially gave the mission to Ezra and to each of us here today. You know it well as I do. The Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've taught you and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be about. Is to make disciples. God gave us that mission providentially. God is sovereign. He providentially is in control of everything. Guides our history. Guards our journey. And gives us our mission. But what makes it hard for our finite or limited minds to understand. That he gives us the responsibility of making a choice. And that choice is completely up to you. For example, you can choose to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you can reject him. You can accept the mission he gives, or you can reject it. You can faithfully love and serve him, or you can be unfaithful. Seek God's will and his word, obey his will, spread his gospel, or you can be rebellious and disobedience. The Lord gives you that choice. He gives you that responsibility. See, there's something that I'm getting at here that is void in our society today. That's personal accountability. You are given a choice. And what you do with that choice is your responsibility. So on that day, on the great and terrible day of the Lord, when I'm standing before God, I can't tell God, well, look what Larry Lau did. It's not going to matter what Larry Lau did because I'm going to be the accountable for what I did, how I responded, did I practice it or not, was I faithful or not. And this is nowhere in Scripture, but I cannot help but wonder on that day when he tells those to depart from him, he never knew them. I wonder every opportunity they heard the gospel will come back to them, but yet they rejected it. You cannot blame anybody for your spiritual condition. That's your responsibility. You have to take ownership of it. God gives you that responsibility of choice. So where are you today? Are you seeking, doing, and teaching? Or are you running, disobeying, and rebellion. God has providentially brought you to this point in time to face you with a choice. And that choice is yours to make. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond? And I've said this a thousand times and it bears repeating right now. This is why this is called the invitation. God has spoke. Now it's up to you. It's up to you what to do with it. And you can't blame anybody else in here for how you respond because that is your choice, that is your responsibility, and you're accountable for that. One of the biggest things we have lost in society and sadly in our churches is personal accountability. I'm going to say one more thing. Please. Listen to me, please. If you hear nothing else I've said this morning, listen to this, please. 
Don't let anybody or any circumstance destroy your relationship with God. Don't let any situation destroy your relationship with a fellow brother or sister. We are called to love one another. In First Peter, fervently, earnestly to love one another. And that means steadfastly, never wavering, never stopping. And it all goes back, look at our Lord. God has never stopped loving you. Not one second. He's never stopped caring for you. He's never stopped looking over you. He's never stopped singing over you. He's always there. He loves you so much. He's not going to force himself on you. He gives you the choice. And remember, the choice that you make can have eternal, will have eternal results. Wherever God's leading on your heart right now, whatever it is, to join this local body, to rededicate your life, to come to Christ for the first time, maybe to lay some burdens down, or to come up here and just pray for loved ones, whatever it is, please do not leave this place until you take care of that. God has, in his providence, guided you here in this moment, in this time, right now. He's given you a choice. What are you going to do with it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, dear God, that indeed you are providentially in control of this entire universe. That nothing happens that you don't know about. Nothing catches you by surprise. Father, your love for us is far greater than we can possibly understand. And in that love, you've given us the responsibility of making a choice. So, Father, I pray that you would silence the voices of the enemy that we would hear your voice, a voice of truth, the voice of love, a voice of mercy, and a voice of compassion. Please, God, let nothing stand in the way. Knock down every wall, break every chain. I'll be quick to give you all the glory for it. Draw men and women and boys and girls unto yourself this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are.
you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Come on, one more time. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as a closing prayer? And if you have or know somebody or know particularly yourself or family, if you have a, a need of prayer, just raise your hands. Someone needs a prayer request. Heavenly Father, come before you this morning. I just want to thank you for just who you are, that you are sovereign. That nothing catches you off guard. You know the hands that are raised. And dear God, you know the situation better than we do. You know every heart. You know every situation. And God, on behalf of my brothers and sisters, I lift those concerns and burdens up to you. And lay them before you. Place them in your most capable arms. Father, as we continue to go through this day and through this week, remind us, dear God, that you're with us. That you are in control. Remind us, dear God, of who we belong to. and We belong to you. We are your people. May we be quick to share that, that peace and that hope that we have with others around us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.